he drank a glassful, which stood by, breathed once or twice heavily, and gradually recovered himself. The colour had scarcely come back into his face when he heard Maud run laughing through the hall. Father, where are you? We're waiting for you. I will come in two minutes, my child. Having said this in his own natural voice, he closed the door again and spoke to me rapidly. Phineas, I want you to stay away from church. Make some excuse, or I will for you. Write a letter for me to this address in Paris. Say, Guy Halifax's father will be there, without fail, within a week, to answer all demands. All demands? I echoed, bewildered. He repeated the sentence word for word. Can you remember it? Literally, mind. And post it at once, before we return from church. Here the mother's call was heard. John, you come in. In a moment, love, for her hand was on the door outside, but her husband held the other handle fast. He then went on breathlessly. You understand, Phineas, and you must be careful, very careful. She must not know, not till tonight. One word. Guy is alive and well. Oh, yes, yes. Thank God. But Guy's father was gone while I spoke. Heavy as the news might be, this ill news which had struck me with apprehension the moment I saw Lord Ravenel, it was still endurable. I couldn't conjure up any grief so bitter as the boy's dying. Therefore, with a quietness that came naturally under the compulsion of such a necessity as the present, I rejoined the rest made my excuses, and answered all objections. I watched the marriage party leave the house. A simple procession, the mother first, leaning on Edwin, then Maud, Walter, and Lord Ravenel. John walked last, with Louise upon his arm. Thus I saw them move up the garden and through the beechwood to the little church on the hill. I then wrote the letter and sent it off. That done, I went back into the study. Knowing nothing, able to guess nothing, a dull patience came over me, the patience with which we often wait for unknown, inevitable misfortunes. Sometimes I almost forgot Guy in my startled remembrance of his father's look as he called me away and sat down rather dropped down into his chair. Was it illness? Yet he'd not complained. He hardly ever complained, and scarcely had a day's sickness from year to year. And as I watched him and Louise up the garden, I'd noticed his free, firm gait, without the least sign of unsteadiness or weakness. Besides, he was not one to keep any but a necessary secret from those who loved him. He could not be seriously ill, or we should have known it. Thus I pondered, until I heard the church bells ring out merrily. The marriage was over. I was just in time to meet them at the front gates, which they entered, our Edwin and his wife, 
through a living line of smiling faces, treading upon a carpet of strewn flowers. Endley would not be defrauded of its welcome. All the villagers escorted the young couple in triumph home. I have a misty recollection of how happy everybody looked, how the sun was shining and the bells ringing and the people cheering, a mingled phantasmagoria of sights and sounds, in which I only saw one person distinctly, John. He waited while the young folk passed in, stood on the hall steps, in a few words thanked his people and bade them to the general rejoicing. They, uproarious, answered in loud hurrahs, and one energetic voice cried out, One cheer more for Master Guy! Guy's mother turned delighted.